This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Bortzio. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we are discussing Young Art House Darling, BAFTA Rising Star nominee 2019, and Ireland's own Barry Keown. Andrew, give us their history. Barry Keown was born in Summerhill in Dublin. He spent seven years, unfortunately, in foster care with his brother. He was raised by his aunt and his grandmother after his mother died when he was 12 from a heroin overdose. He started acting in 2011 at the age of 18, and he did the classic Irish acting trial by fire of appearing in Fair City as one of his early spots. Of course. And then he broke out in love-hate, I think, in 2013, maybe. Basically, he's gone from strength to strength after that. This is the first time we're focusing on an Irish actor. That's very true, yeah. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of pressure because he's not just an Irish actor. Yeah. He's an yeah. Irish actor from Dublin's north side, yeah. which we yeah. both hail from. Yes, indeed we do. Harmo rep right here. <laughs> where are you from again? Blanche. Blanche. You yeah. see, you're kind of closer to where, where is Summerhill? I have no idea where that is. I have no idea. I was Googling myself. If it's not on a dart line for yeah. me, I don't know where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this first time we're focusing on an Irish actor, uh, something we intend to do more as we go on. Yeah, Maybe course, yeah, every yeah. handful of episodes we'll choose someone yeah, from yeah. the Emerald Isle. Yeah. Uh, but I can't think of anyone better to start with because watching a lot of Keown's work over a short period of time has really made me realise that He's one of the major faces of a new, more exciting type of Irish cinema. Yeah, uh, exactly. That has really blossomed this mm. century. Like, and that's not to say that um, Irish movies were necessarily less than in the 90s. Uh, two of our greatest directors, Jim Sheridan and Neil yeah. Jordan, made their best work that decade. It's just in the last 15 years, there's a lot more people making movies here. There's a, a lot more opportunities for yeah, creative types. a lot types. more money coming into the Irish film industry. Mm. Yeah. And as such, I think there's a lot more diverse stories being told now than there was in the past. So we have gritty portraits of people living on the margins of society. We have more genre movies. We have movies which explore more naughty ideas than just good versus bad. Uh, On top of that, we also have foreign filmmakers getting funding from Irish production companies. And uh, I think Barry Keown has sort of been at the centre of all that. Maybe not when the seeds were being planted because he's only 27. But definitely as Irish cinema has grown and evolved. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like Yorgos Lanthimos is... His, uh, I think two of his movies, maybe all three, were funded. The Lobster was the first one. The Lobster was the first one. Sacred Deer Sacred and Deer. The Favourite all the got favorite funding from yeah. Element Pictures. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy because with Irish funding comes the necessity of you know bringing in Irish actors. Totally. Like Colin Farrell into Lobster and The Sacred Deer. And then you have Keown coming into The Sacred Deer as well. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome yeah. time. It's You're up Ireland. Like, um, even we went to see The Dig this year. I yeah. That's yeah. a movie that would have come out Not in the at 90s. All, no, like these no. genre movies, which are really Kissing Candace, yeah. movies like that. Yeah. Very exciting. I love Kissing Candace. What a Such movie. Such a good movie. Yeah. It's like a, not even a music video. Yeah. <laughs> but Keown's uh, most frequent collaborator is Mark O'Connor, uh, probably best known for co writing and directing Carport Gangsters, um, the biggest Irish box office hit of 2017. Yeah. Uh, Keown's not in Cardboard Gangsters probably because he was making Dunkirk or Sacred Deer around the same time but he was in O'Connor's first three movies uh, Between the Canals in 2011 which was his big screen debut and Stalker and King of the Travellers in 2012 uh, Stalker was the big leading role mm. whereas the other two are much smaller parts I believe actually I haven't yeah. seen those two movies uh, for some history on Keown's how he got into acting um, he really liked acting in school then one day he saw a flyer put up by O'Connor with a number included the director was looking for actors to audition for Between the Canals um, seeing it was paid and it was something that he could do, uh, Keown called him. O'Connor explained that he was still waiting for funding for the film. Uh, Keown then rang him a few more times over the years. Apparently, yeah. started was kind of pounding on being yeah, like, when, yeah. "When is the that movie being made?" Yeah. And he's like, "I have no money, but we <laughs> we will have it soon." Finally, he did put the money together, and 
Keown auditioned and got the role. Um, O'Connor has a reputation for spotlighting these new talents, whether it be his frequent acting collaborator and writing partner John Connors, yeah. uh, also Peter Coonan, yeah. who people know as fan from Love Hate, yeah, yeah. even his TV show now Darklands, which, uh, as we record, is nearing its first season finale on Virgin Media. The young actors in that, Ashton Kern and Dane White O'Hara, are so good. Anyway, O'Connor must have liked Keown because he made him the lead, the co-lead in his utterly bonkers sophomore feature, <laughs> Stalker. John Connor stars as Oliver, a mentally unhinged yet erudite, eloquent homeless man, uh, someone prone to launching into angry monologues about the government, capitalism and mainstream cinema, while having conversations with an American preacher who is a figment of his imagination. Okay. Uh, he comes across Tommy, uh, who's played by Keohan, disaffected teenager. His mom is a drug addict. And we come to learn that he sells his body in exchange for drugs for her. Wow. Yeah. And uh, What a relationship. It's, it's getting worse. One of these people <laughs> is his Dublin Southsider crime boss slash barber uncle, Rudyard, played by Peter Coonan, of whom he also deals drugs for. Okay. Um, so Oliver and Tommy form this unusual bond. Uh, he have, saves them from some local bullies. Uh, he teaches them about the Bible and takes them to the IFI. <laughs> they both go to see Charlie Casanova. <laughs> it's a really weird scene. This annoys um, Tommy's horrendous destructive family um, because they think that he's giving them notions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then notions beyond black tar heroin. Exactly. And uh, eventually, Oliver decides to do something about his new friends' oppressors. So when Stalker premiered at the Guy Film Flat, Manifesto was released, penned by Mark O'Connor, declaring it as part of a new Irish wave or a Tan Nua. Mm. Yeah, the Irish. Yeah. He characterized this as movies not necessarily made for market, movies made cheaply, possibly through crowdfunding, uh, movies where the actors are brought into the creative process. Um, he also described Stalker as a protest film, stating that the uh, protest film genre of which Stalker belongs to is a direct reaction to what has happened in this country. The films reflect the changes in the Irish psyche and the socio economic and moral conditions of our time they are emotionally reactive born out of necessity and a political and social consciousness so that is a taster of that sort of new there is like people are considering these new movies that are coming out and now yeah. part of a wave and uh for better or for worse uh stalker feels like a movie made under those conditions uh, it's okay, an abrasive yeah. often thrilling punch in the face of yeah. a film uh even if at parts like the monologuing and the rambling narrative feel a little self-indulgent yeah um, it's a movie which takes a lot of the issues often suppressed and ignored in Irish society. So the difficulties of inner city life, homelessness, mental illness, familial abuse, class equality, yeah. and just does them up to 11 <laughs> in this like warped feud that emerges between the north side homeless man, Oliver, and the south side fat cat criminal, uh, Rudyard. Um, and while Coonan and Connors are pretty electrifying, um, Connors is his, like commanding self. He's a pretty great actor. Yeah, if anyone's yeah. seen Cardboard Gangsters, they'll know that. And um, Coonan is absolutely insane. <laughs> He's <laughs> is so hammy in the movie, but it's sort of great. But they serve as more symbols for the larger themes of the film um, than as real people. As such, Keown is actually the performance which is the most emotionally affecting and human in the film, playing the scared teenager forced into adulthood and to be streetwise, only coping with his traumatic family situation by smoking the weed he's meant to be dealing. <laughs> and watching it now with the hindsight of knowing Keown would grow to become one of the country's biggest stars, all that evidence was that that was going to happen is in Stalker. Yeah. Like, even now, Keown looks a lot younger than 27. Very true, yeah. He's got a real baby face yeah. and... As such, he plays a lot of teenagers and people in their early 20s. And this was made when he was 20, so oh, okay. he looks about 15 or 14. Yeah. Something which adds a lot of authenticity yeah. to what's happening to him on screen. You really buy him as someone caught between adolescence and adulthood. Um, also, right at the gate, he has that naturalistic quality you see later. He, he's someone who never went to drama school, yet despite that, possesses great instincts yeah. as a performer. The sort of raw, improv nature of O'Connor's shooting style really suits him. 
the moments of bonding between Connors and Keown feel authentic as do the brutal moments. There's a great part where he's being howled at for his mom for not getting her fix. Yeah. And the way his voice strains as he screams at her and he gets in her face and keeps repeating the same things. Yeah. Like he keeps saying, like, he's the only one who cares me. Like, talking about Oliver. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that feels really visceral. Um, he also has this really striking face. Yeah, it's very, yeah, yeah. I think it's the, his eyes are very, very blue. Yeah. His cheekbones are very sharp. And his hair is so dark as well. Mm. Talking in an interview about American animals, uh, oh, Bart okay. Layton was talking about the reasons why he cast him in the film. And um, he said that, yeah, he's just got this really, like, authentic, you know, great face. And Barry Cohan countered, like, put it in and said, um, authentic, unique, basically nice words were not the best looking, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty funny. But uh, I disagree with that because I, I think he is handsome but just looks like some young lad you might see walking around Dublin City. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, yeah. But he also has this, like, those really blue eyes and also, like, this intense kind of squinting glare. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes his face sort of unreadable. Yeah. And uh, it makes him quite interesting yeah, to watch all the time. He's really capable of flipping between extreme vulnerability and extreme, like, soullessness mm. a lot of the time because he does that really, really well. It's two sides of the same coin, really, in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer and other movies like that. He's like, it's like a young Jake Gyllenhaal mm. or Gyllenhaal. <laughs> like jogging. Yeah, you're like you know, a silent <laughs> G, yeah. yeah. Also, Stalker explores some of the issues that affected uh, Kyohan in his early life, yeah. watching a loved one succumb to addiction. Mm. Although I should say, uh, unlike the mother and the family in Stalker, uh, Kyohan is always he preys on his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also like class equality, inequality. Um, he's playing a character like himself who didn't finish his education. Yeah. Um, and so it's just quite a brave role to yeah, take on. Yeah. Um, so young, especially for one of your first roles, yeah. That's even before you add in the trauma that's unique to his character's yeah, yeah. situation. Yeah, prostituting yeah. himself. Uh, and I think you see that bravery again in some of the other roles he plays. People often ask him like why he got into acting. Yeah. And he says, obviously, you want to play characters and be on TV, but there's a deeper level to that. It's therapeutic and it's getting the pain out through this art form. Yeah. So yeah. I think he likes taking on roles where he can draw on his yeah, tough yeah. childhood. Yeah. Who wouldn't? I just want to prep because I feel like I'm talking a lot, but uh, I watch a lot of the earlier Kyohan yeah. movies just to fill in my gaps. Yeah, and I caught up on some of the earlier, other later stuff even. Yeah. 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 So uh, off the strength of the O'Connor, you know, trifecta of films, uh, he lands supporting roles in a couple of other major Irish TV and film projects, uh, mostly adding color. I think thanks yeah. to his uh, skinny, youthful looks and those yeah, unreadable yeah. eyes. I think his eyes are often used uh, to, as you said, like evoke a danger. Yeah. He made headlines across Ireland when Love Hate season four opened with him obliterating a cat with bullets uh, from an automatic weapon. Yeah. Uh, something so iconic that there's this uh, pretty funny Daily Edge article from 2017 titled, uh, The Cat Killer from Love Hate is a Really Big Deal in Hollywood <laughs> when uh, the Sacred Deer was premiering a cat. He also had small roles in the fantastic Troubles Thriller 71. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's a Troubles movie played like the warriors oh shit <laughs> you know like it's like one guy trapped in a city yeah. where everybody wants to kill him yeah he's a british soldier but he's like yeah. not catholic yeah. not Protestant. doesn't under, he's like an atheist doesn't understand the situation <laughs> it's great he plays like a loyalist underling there mm. he's also in the interesting recession theme thriller traders have you ever seen that i don't think so no um this is a movie it stars kenny and scott and it centers on high flyers crippled financially in the rest in the crash who liquidate all their assets into cash and fight to the death for them Jesus Christ. Like they just show up to like um, some sort of secluded site. Yeah. Just put the bags down and then just beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> um, pretty great. It's it, like, it's one of those movies where you, you never really buy that this could actually be a thing yeah, and it yeah. like shoots it like a straight yeah. drama. But it's funny it was. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but interesting yeah. idea, you know, and like definitely yeah. tapped into something, mm. you know, in Ireland post 
Celtic Tiger. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd imagine if that happened with Anglo Irish Bank instead of the bailout, <laughs> we'd be living in a very different world right now. <laughs> um, uh, one can dream. He plays um, a young psychopath in that movie. Yeah. He's sort of the heavy who um, gets embroiled in the game. And then there, he's also in Trespass Against Us, which I think is a pretty underrated gangster drama set in the traveling community. Yeah. Starring Michael Fassbender and Brendan Gleeson. Um, there, Keown blends pretty seamlessly, along with Sean Harris and Killian Scott, into the film's community of characters. Who yeah. are, we're all these people who are dissatisfied with conventional modern life and have just taken to the hills yeah, to live yeah. off the grid. Yeah. Uh, I think pretty flawed, but good movie, yeah. interesting. Um, most noteworthy, though, I'd argue, between Stalker and his international big break, uh, Sacred Deer, is Mammal. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah, it's just, not really one for Irish films. Yeah, yeah. I like a true Barry Cowan. I feel like I'm an expert now. <laughs> it's this pretty great 2016 film from writer director Rebecca Daly. Uh, Mammal um, has this sort of Hinekian art house vibe. It dances around like these taboo topics and has these ambiguous hard to root for characters yeah something again i think pretty new to irish cinema like we didn't have that in the 90s yeah so it stars rachel griffiths um who she plays margaret uh, an australian living in ireland um she was previously married to an irish guy and had a kid with him but left them when her boy was only a baby yeah uh, her quiet lonely existence is broken by the appearance of her ex who tells her that their kid now a teen has gone missing uh, he's later found dead in a canal. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was qu- it's quite bad. Actually, that should be called Between the Canals. Yeah. <laughs> or In the Canals. <laughs> Sorry, I need to take a break. <laughs> that was quite savage. Yeah, it's, uh, this revelation leaves her with this very weird sort of grief. You know, the loss yeah. of a child that she never really knew that yeah. she had abandoned. Um, at the same time, she finds a homeless young grifter named Joe, who's played by Kyoan, yeah. playing another disaffected inner city Dublin youth. He's beaten and bloody in a lane behind the charity shop where she works. Um, he makes a living rolling with a group of young reprobates. We see them make money by using Joe to lure gay men into an alleyway, uh, later robbing and beating them. That's very timely. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you never find out explicitly, but one assumes from what we later find out and the sparky relationship Joe has with the leader of the gang that he was left injured after one of these muggings went wrong. Mm. Uh, so Margaret cares for his wounds and finds the young man to stay with her rent-free as she searches for a lodger for her spare yeah. room. However, their bond grows beyond lodger and tenant uh, into something somewhere between a maternal relationship but also a romance. It's all right. Oh, good. It's great. Look, I have to go. Can I see it? Just make sure that it's healing, okay? You should really try to keep it dry. Does it hurt? No, it's okay. It's looking better anyway. What do you want? I want to make sure you're looking after that hand. Where are you staying? Have you got somewhere to stay? What's it here? I've got a spare room in my house. I'm looking for a lodge of it. You can have it if you want until I find someone. It'd just be temporary. Uh, on one hand, Joe... He's the son Margaret never had. He's the same age her son would have been. She treats him like her child, doing his washing and yeah. cooking. Uh, at one point, after her ex drops her son's clothes into the charity shop, she even starts dressing him like oh. her son. However, this is also this like unspoken attraction between the two. Like the way they touch each other as they bond over a joint. Yeah. Uh, the way their bodies caress each other as she teaches him how to swim. But for the most part, Joe and Margaret walk this. Uh, warped sort of tightrope between yeah. mother son slash lover bond till a late in the game bath. Ooh. changes things Ooh, so gross if, if, I, if I had to compare Kyohan to someone um, mm. I think he's sort of a mix between Mia Goth and Ben Mendelsohn 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I think he's he's very choosy. I think that's true. Or but a bit, a bit, a bit more broad with his choices uh, than Mia Goth, but um, still quite choosy when it comes to like directors and scripts. I'd say. Yeah, but he has a sort of otherworldly quality like her. Yeah, where I think both with him and her, you when you're watching them in a scene, yeah. they're, they're very enigmatic yeah she could easily fit into the world of the sacred deer and he could easily fit into the world of like the survivalist or something like that yeah but i think like mendelssohn he has this dangerous life quality where you by him dropped into these very gritty seedy worlds yeah um there's a great scene early on where joe is being taught to swim by margaret and it turns into this fun for a moment playful scene where the two like splash water at each other um, which in this quiet slow burn of a movie is quite like you just like cling on to it you're like oh happiness finally (laughs) However, it's broken when the lifeguard blows his whistle and shouts, no splashing. And immediately, Kyohan goes from, like, carefree young child yeah. to wild feral adult yeah. and shouts, like, fuck off you! <laughs> Flipping on the bird. And the mood is, like, suddenly just completely lost. Yeah. It's also a great moment where he and Margaret are having a nice dinner and she leaves the room for a sec and he casually reaches into her purse and steals 20 quid. Oh, wow. The speed and casualness yeah. of him doing it. He's yeah. not, like glancing over at the door like yeah, when yeah. Mike, he just like grabs it like snatches it so quickly it only adds to like the chillingness of it and I think that's on Kyohan and we never find out much about Joe's past but the way Kyohan portrays him always scanning Margaret's house for opportunities yeah. paints a thousand mm-hmm. words yeah yeah um, but the recent standout moment of the film is the bath scene uh, Kyohan is sitting in the bath quietly crying after almost being killed when the person he tried to rob pulled a knife on him mm. Margaret sees this and in what must be like a five or six minute scene starts to bathe him as he's naked she starts like dabbing his eyes at first Um, in a totally wordless scene um, the sexual tension grows between them as their bodies like inch kind of slowly closer together and Margaret begins to move down his torso starts dabbing like his chest and uh, it's really Kyohan because it's a lot of the scene is on his face like his lips quiver his eyes widen his breathing intensifies who sells that idea of the two like crossing over into this sort of dangerous threshold yeah yeah. Uh, Quasi taboo. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a just a very interesting actor. Like yeah. I think another brave role again, you know, yeah, for much so. a young person to play. Yeah. But then after that, um, I think the next big role is Sacred Deer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he plays um Martin, who's like a damaged young man with a connection to uh, a cardiologist surgeon called Stephen, who's played by Colin Farrell. My first no, because I made my notes after the movie. My first uh, <laughs> note was just tears of blood. Yes. Yeah, which is kind of how I felt watching the movie. Um, <laughs> but it's also a plot point in the movie yeah. later on that I won't. Uh, I'll try not to spoil too much of. But essentially, um, Martin, who's played by Barry Keown, is like a very psychologically damaged young man who's, uh, which has obviously been exacerbated by the trauma of his father's death at the hands of uh, Stephen. And now Martin is out for revenge, basically. He calls it justice, but it's definitely revenge. Totally. Yeah. It's a pretty intense movie. Yeah. It's a Yorgos Lanthimos movie who yeah. made... Um, the Lobster. Went, Lobster. Yeah. Went on pretty big fame with The Favourite. All his movies feel very like they set in their own world. Like yeah. People all talk sort of like robots. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know what it is, but Kyohan fits really well into that mm. world. And yeah. There's something about his performance where the less he seems to be doing, the more chilling it is. Yeah. Like The less emotion he puts into his mm. voice, you know, the less emotion that yeah. you can read on his face. From the from the minute him and Stephen are in yeah. a scene together, and you don't really know what their relationship is, yeah. you're immediately like kind of like anxious, you can over it. feel yeah, like yeah. the heat rise on the back yeah. of your neck. Because for like, there's a good bit of the movie where you think that is Stephen like cheating on his family with this young yeah. boy. <laughs> there's that relationship. Yeah. There's that very weird scene where he goes in for a checkup, and yeah. he's asking Stephen about the hair on his chest. Yeah, how much? And this, yeah, and this very like dead 
Pan Wei. Your son told me that you've got lots of hair under your arms, three times more than I do, and that you've got a very hairy back and a very hairy belly. I probably do have a little more hair than you do because I'm older than you. But soon you'll have more hair too. It's all down to hormones. Can you show me, please? Can you take off your shirt and show me, please? It's very awkward. And there's also the scene where he, like, Stephen buys him, like, a fancy watch. Yeah. And then they talk about... The uh, strap. The water resistance. Yeah, and the water resistance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With a lot of um, Lanthimos' films, especially at the, at the beginning and towards the middle, I think they require the viewers or the audience to bring a bit more to it than a normal movie would. I think it requires you to put emotions or feelings onto the onto these characters that to our, to on normal on a normal surface level don't really seem to have any mm. until things start really kicking into high gear and it kind of pivots into a horror movie rather than a psychological thr- thriller it seems to be at the start. I think it's my favorite Lanthimos movie, not because I think it's the best, mm. because I I think it sort of lacks the lobsters like otherworldly vibe where like you completely buy the rules of the film yeah. because it takes place in this sort of like dystopian even though it's just set in like regular Ireland yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it feels dystopian yeah. whereas the Killing of Sacred Deer is very much like set in the real world but yeah. has this very outlandish plot like Barry Keoghan's character puts a curse yeah, but, yeah, on yeah. Colin Farrell's family and, but we, there's never a scene where he goes to some sort of like like, circle in the woods and yeah, performs say like that. witch magic and yeah. and I think you sort of do get a little bit bogged down with the killing of a sacred deer in you know like why didn't the police do something yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you, you yeah. sort of do start yeah. asking questions about that but there's something about the clarity of its vengeance narrative yeah. that I think and it's the Greek tragedy of it it's the one that I find the most disturbing yeah totally with flecks of like really dark comedy yeah yeah <laughs> the bit where Bill Camp is like or where they're talking to Bill Camp's character and uh, the like fancy do I think so yeah. Yeah, yeah and Colin Farrell's like our daughter started menstruating last week and Bill Camp's like great yeah. <laughs> and he's not saying it like sarcastically yeah, like, he's, he's like that like, is great yeah, news that's to great hear. news Thank she you. can bear a child well done <laughs> yeah. yeah so after the sacred year he goes on to Dunkirk yeah um, which is pretty amazing going from the guy who shot the cat yeah Monday, yeah to Dunkirk yeah. and it's a pretty vital role he plays George Mills um, a friend of Mark Rylance both Captain's son yeah. who tags along with his mate and his dad to rescue British soldiers uh, retreating from the Nazis at Dunkirk on the way this uh, motley crew yeah, the dirt no <laughs> <laughs> uh, rescue a shell-shocked soldier uh, played by Killian Murphy Yeah, when Murphy realises that uh, Rylance and co are actually heading back to Dunkirk uh, he panics and lashes out yeah. uh, in the process knocking George to the ground uh, where he bangs his head yeah I told my dad I'm, I've done nothing that's cool. And that I would do something one day. Maybe get in the local paper. Maybe my teachers will see it. Okay, get some rest. I need you back up on deck as soon as you're able. It's pretty crazy that for such an intense movie, Kyohan getting knocked out is the only moment of up close visceral on yeah, screen violence. Yeah, like, true. You never really see the Nazis; they're this sort of off yeah. on off screen yeah. threat, which almost makes them more scary. Yeah, like kind of come from everywhere. Yeah, which is such a testament to what Nolan did on Dunkirk. Yeah, 
one of the most horrifying bits in this war movie is the moment you realize that uh, he's after having this whole bedside conversation with, with uh, his uh, friend Peter, yeah, you realize that he's gone blind, yeah, due yeah, to head yeah, trauma. Yeah. It's a weird part of the movie because the stuff involving Fionn Whitehead on the ground and Tom Hardy in the air is so authentic. Yeah. Uh, you're really plunged into the chaos of war, what it must be like to experience it. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Rylance, Kyohan and Murphy stuff on the boat is the bit that feels the most screenwritery. Yeah. The yeah. most, uh, this is the moral of the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kyohan sort of represents innocence. Yeah, yeah. As George says himself, in, the, in a pretty powerful monologue delivered by Kyohan, he never was all that in school. Mm. Um, he thought that this war adventure would be his way of doing something with his life. Yeah. Uh, Murphy, meanwhile, is like the innocence after the experience of being through the war. Yeah. Um, all it leaves you is like this broken shell of a person. Yeah. Uh, I like the, those motifs and also the fact that Nolan uh, never judges Murphy for hurting mm. jo- yeah, uh, George. Yeah. Uh, in the same way he doesn't judge Harry Styles, yeah. who spends the whole time at the ground just trying to desert. Yeah. yeah. Um, to Nolan war is a horrible thing yeah. and something that no one should have to go to even in the case of world war ii it's it's one of the rare times it's pretty just yeah but that's it like i like the ideas the scenario itself is the sweatiest part of the movie yeah in the middle of this uh otherwise less character driven yeah. more realistic war yeah. film but i think he really grounds that scene emotionally i think so too yeah because yeah. yeah. um, uh, i think like the likes of peter and mr dawson who's played by mark rylance i think they're kind of uh, basically expedition exposition dumps for characters like they explain a lot and it's like Mark Rylance will point at the sky like oh look split fires or some <laughs> shite like that he sounds like a Wallace and Gromit character in that movie yeah. and with Killi- the hat yeah, yeah yeah and Killian Murphy just kind of sits there shivering for a lot of it not really saying much his character is like the shivering soldier yeah yeah that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> literally his name yeah, yeah. Brian Keown named one of the few named yeah one of the few the named characters so you're right play. yeah yeah and I think it's uh, obviously his death is like the most intimate of the film's moments like, apart from the bit where the French soldier played by Anurin Bernard dies or drowns, yeah, great. Those two moments of just, like, innocence lost and youth dead, basically. And I think it it really brought, just to talk about Christopher Nolan for a second, it back to his really good kind of... Because he's really, really good at making these amazing, warm, intimate moments, even when they're about death. Mm. Because, um, like, his last couple of movies, like, you had moments that were supposed to be, you know emotional in some kind of way and maybe they were but you know when a line of cops charge military grade tanks in the dark night rises I was like alright this feels crap the bit on the boat in the dark night I would put in that a bit oh yeah that's crap yeah, yeah that's yeah. really bad yeah <laughs> yeah Nolan is also a bit I don't think he gets enough credit for the emotional bits in Memento oh and the prestige I love the script movie. of Memento yeah. I think it's one of the best scripts I've not that I've read because I haven't read it. <laughs> um, yeah. But just uh, the Guy Pierce's narration in that is maybe one of my favourite narrated bits of all time because it's so warm and so just kind of lost in basically the only memory he can he he really cares about. Yeah, but Nolan now has this reputation for being a bit of a robot. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Well, we have to put the, the dead wife, otherwise, how will we understand pain? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the next movie I want to talk about is American Animals. Yeah. Which is a movie that has a, a very close place in my heart because it came out while I was working on Hot Press, my internship. It oh, was my cool. first proper media job. Yeah. And Barry Keown was on the front cover. And I remember oh. leaving work and going to a press screening for American Animals and being so excited. Mm. It's also like a bit of a departure for him because in a lot of these other movies, he's playing characters who have had these life-altering experiences. Yeah. The abuse he suffers in Stalker the life on the margins he lives in mammal the loss of a father in yeah. sacred deer living through world war Two and dunkirk yeah 
Um, but here's just playing a normal guy, yeah. one who's so normal, he sees it as a hindrance yeah. to himself yeah, and what he wants to do in life. tortured artist. Yeah, he wants yeah. to be a tortured yeah, artist. Yeah. He wants to be Van Gogh. He yeah. wants the ear. You know, he wants that <laughs> He wants story. his ear moment, yeah. yeah. Uh, he plays Spencer Reinhardt, yeah. who's this uh, real-life person and uh, one of four college students in Kentucky who in 2003 planned to rob a series of rare books worth millions of dollars yeah. from their university library. Uh, the main reason for committing the robbery was not monetary. Uh, most seemed to come from fairly well-to-do privileged families yeah. and had great career prospects. It was more for the excitement and purpose the plan the heists mm. gave them. Do you ever feel like you're waiting for something to happen? That thing that could uh, make your life special. Yeah. Like what? Exactly. So here in American Animals, you see the real four life people give their testimonies in this sort of weird blended docu drama. And they also differ from each other, which is yeah, pretty yeah, fun yeah. in American Animals. Um, while Keohan, alongside Evan Peters, Blake Jenner, and Jared Abramson are pretty much just reenacting them. Yeah. And there's a really good part where at one point where Evan Peters is talking to Warren Lipka, who's yeah. the character he plays, and it's like, did it really happen like this? Yeah, and yeah, he's like, yeah. I don't really remember, yeah, but if Spencer remember, says but it. But if Spencer says so, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, it, um, the guy is so likable. Yeah, Warren he Lipka. is. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Yeah, he's yeah. like Matthew McConaughey in yeah. real life. <laughs> um Kohan says he really fought hard for the part because uh, writer-director Bart Layton, who I mentioned earlier, his previous film, the 2012 documentary The Imposter, is one of his favorite movies. Yeah, And um, I think it's a really solid performance, even if the character doesn't necessarily play to Kyohan's strengths. Yeah. yeah. In the sense that uh, he's he's an average Joe who longs for something better. I, I personally like him a bit more menacing. Yeah. Or yeah. a bit more raw yeah he can play tragic characters too like in stalker and yeah. in mammal but uh i, I think yeah. he's better playing with people with a bit of edge yeah i think this yeah this performance is a lot more subtle because it's really i think the two kind of crazier performances of the movie belong to evan peters and blake jenner evan peters spends a lot of the movie completely baked and blake jenner spends a lot of the movie kind of like as this kind of faux relaxed jock character mm. once it passes like the hour or 20 minute mark they're both just screaming at each other yeah, yeah. and everyone else just dripping sweat whereas Barry Keown he's always like he's always disaffected and mm. I think that's what this movie is really about just like angry scared disaffected men that no longer have kind of the male role models uh, for better or worse that uh, you know our dads might have looked up to back in the 60s or 70s or something like that and the other, all they've got are like, you know, the male, I suppose, ideal now back in 2003 was, you know, Ryan Felipe yeah, or Keanu Reeves or something like that. They're just these basically boring people. And, you know, yeah, they're sort no of offense, all, Keanu. They, love all you guy. See, they all see themselves as being like the Edward Norton and they're yeah. without the Brad Pitt. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that Keohan does nail the transition in the movie between it being cool and being like, yeah, crime. And yeah, there's like, yeah the Ocean's Eleven aspect of it to when they commit the crime and it's like horrible <laughs> and they end up putting this poor librarian played yeah. by Andow yeah. through hell. Yeah. I th- yeah, that transition between him being excited in planning the heist to actually realizing he'll have to do it yeah. to like the aftermath. Uh, there's two brief scenes we see of him and his family in one he's having dinner the night before the heist and then the other he's celebrating. He, I think it's his dad's birthday yeah. after. Yeah. And both times he just looks petrified or worried but trying to put on a happy face. Yeah. He's terrified not just that he's ruined his life, but that he's ruined theirs. Yeah. I think that stuff is really good. And um, there's also some cool bits where there's that brilliant 
one take where you see Warren's imagined heist, like it going perfectly. Oh, yeah, yeah. This very like Ocean's Eleven yeah. scene where they're all in beautiful suits and the action is scored to that uh, yeah. Elvis remix of A Little yeah. Less Conversation. Yeah. And uh, the scene kicks to life by Keohan managing to tase the librarian in the neck by spinning her to putting her back to his front like a dance move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really funny. <laughs> It must have been a bitch to film. Oh, I'd <laughs> say so, yeah. They, like, all the actors have to hit their marks. Yeah. And um, it looks so cool, but it's punctuated by that great joke of one of the four people being like, no, nah, this could never this work. This couldn't work, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also think another problem maybe with the character of Spencer, which isn't nothing to do with Keohan or yeah. with Bart Layton, I think he's, he's a character who sort of gets overshadowed by Warren because... It was his. It's his idea. He yeah. brings the idea of the heist to Warren. Yeah. But Warren, who's probably the person of the four who's the most disaffected, yeah, he's gotten yeah. into college on a scholarship. He yeah. doesn't come from the his parents are divorcing. Doesn't come from a particularly wealthy background, yeah. and he sort of takes the heist on board, and yeah. is the one who's really pushing to do it. Yeah. And there's even a point where Barry Keown like goes to him after a botched. They tried to do the heist, and they just don't go through with it because yeah. there's a too many people around yeah and he tells him like i can't i can't be in the library yeah and he makes him the lookout yeah so he's sort of like spencer's even though he's like the lead character in the movie begins and starts with him yeah he's sort of put on the sidelines for yeah. a bit but um i do think it's a cool movie and it does show how versatile kyohan is not just in the movies that he's choosing to make yeah but in the characters that he can play because he, he's quite good at it. it the only dissatisfaction with it comes from like i know Kyohan can do a lot showier but if i hadn't known that i still love the performance yeah he's also in the black 47 yeah and switching from i suppose one to something a bit more showier mm. um he plays the fucking starving <laughs> the fucking starving um yeah he plays hobson who's a young impetuous conscript in the british army from liverpool one one fact i didn't know about this was Ke- uh, Kyohan limited himself to like lucas aid sport <laughs> during the filming this movie <laughs> to well mostly he's like because only only people at that time drank Lucas Aid Port yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no it was to lose weight I remember going to I remember seeing this movie and thinking he was definitely one of the highlights for mm. me um, because uh, he's, he's an interesting character in the sense that he's recruited by this racist officer yeah, that he played yeah. by, I think his name's Pope uh, Freddie Fox Freddie Fox yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. this um, Aryan fucking wonderkind <laughs> yeah. total prick yeah, this movie is like gonna unleash all our colonial. Yeah, anger. I'm joining the IRA after this. <laughs> or I'm at least voting Sinn Fein. I love this country. What's left? Of it. Is it true what they said about the prisoner? He's a danger to us all. Yeah, but he he's this person who. Um, He's very innocent. Yeah. Again, like another, that's another thing that he plays. He plays a lot of innocent characters. Yeah. On top of playing sort of menacing, yeah, disaffected yeah, characters. Yeah. yeah, he plays this innocent character who is recruit. He's, he seems very excited to be recruited to yeah. go to over to Ireland mission, and to yeah. do this mission. Uh, they have to track down Feeney, yeah. who is this uh, former, his Irish, former British soul who's fighting with the British. Yeah, when yeah. he returns yeah. home, finds that his family have been like kicked out of their digs. Yeah. And most of them are dead. Most of them are yeah. dead and not being helped by the Brits during the yeah. famine. Yeah. Through Hobson's eyes, you see the suffering yeah. that is happening yeah, yeah. to the Irish people and that the, the British people are not letting these people have food. Yeah. They're kicking them out of the house. They're just adding to the pain yeah, yeah. these people are having to go through. And he takes a stand yeah, against yeah. it. I think it comes from, I think, because obviously he's kind of a put-upon character by uh, Pope because he's, you know, he's... A working class background and not from like the landed gentry he's not an officer um, and I think 
a lot of it comes from, you know, back in kind of the 1840s, the Industrial Revolution was happening in England and cities started to develop kind of their own sense of identity. So you had Mancunians in Manchester, you had Liverpoolian or Scousers in Liverpool and... Yeah, this sense of like regional or uh, urban identity started to blossom there. There's a real disconnect at the time between English pe- people like Pope and then Scousers like mm. Hobson. Right. That might be why Hobson has such uh, empathy for these characters. He's kind of like one side of a coin to Sergeant Fitzgibbon, right. who's played yes. by Dunford. Yeah, yes. yeah. I get the feeling from Sergeant Fitzgibbon, and this is my own reading into it, it might not be true at all, but um, that he's kind of just doing his job, basically. Like, he's there's nothing sadistic or malicious in it because uh, he just has to, you know, as grim as and gruesome as it sounds, is make sure these people get kicked out of their homes and freeze to death, essentially. Uh, he can't really do anything to help them, um, even though he is a member of the police he's force. He's just following orders. Yeah, exactly. He's thing, just yeah. following orders. Yeah, yeah. Much like our current uh, Garda Shiakana keeping people out of their homes uh, and it's a ca- question of idealism winning out over duty or loyalty and obviously Hobson's idealism wins out over his duty or loyalty to the British crown whereas Fitzgibbon's duty to to himself or to his family or whoever he's making this money for uh, has won out over his idealism if he ever had any to begin with and so obviously it leads to Hobson's tragic death when he tries to get the British Lord Kilmichael is played by Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Amazing performance. Yeah, really, really good to give the grain to the people that, you know, farmed it, basically. Yeah, so uh, he takes out a gun yeah. and is sort of threatening his comrades yeah. to tell them to, like, to open the gates that these people yeah. in. And I think it's pretty telling that you said the one side of a coin, the other, the person who kills him is Fitzgibbon. Yeah, given. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were movies about the British-Irish conflict in yeah. the 90s, but there are a lot more... They're great, yeah, but they're yeah. very good versus bad. Yeah, very grounded in like patriotism and stuff like yeah. that, which this is kind of as well. This one yeah. is too, but yeah. it, it is getting into the moral grayness yeah, a little yeah. bit in the sense that you have Stephen Ray's character who's someone who's profiteering. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He is this uh, storyteller who knows the region who's recruited yeah. by Pope to help find yeah, Feeney. Yeah. So he's running out in this countryman. But, but he, while he's doing it, he's commenting on like, you are destroying this country. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Fitzgibbon, this person. Beauty would be a lot greater appreciated if it could be it. <laughs> beautiful line. Yeah. And beautiful rendition by you. Yeah, thank say. you. Yeah. And you have Fitzgibbon as well, who's this cop who... Um, basically just trying to like put food on the table yeah. by working with the or i see yeah, yeah yeah and then but it's it's pretty crazy that i don't think in the 90s you would have had a, a sympathetic british soldier yeah be very killed true. by very, an very irish true. person yeah, yeah. you know yeah. i I, th- I think that is um something that comes from having like 10 or 15 yeah, years of reflection yeah. Yeah, of how, yeah. how these things are portrayed yeah, in movies yeah, yeah. and also the fact that it's just a genre movie like it's pretty much death wish yeah know? yeah pretty it's, much it's yeah, yeah. is hunting down yeah. death wish with, a bit, with a bit more nuance if this movie was made 20 years ago you would have had a British so Hobson would have gone ha silly patties yeah exactly shot the people outside the gate <laughs> rather than give them the grain yeah they weren't even asking for the grain yeah, yeah. Shot them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no to 100% and I think this is a type of movie that um, will be shown in secondary schools yeah, to totally, teach people yeah, about yeah, the famine yeah. and the kids won't be like oh, I showed it when I was a teacher in a secondary oh, really? school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't think they're going to be like, oh, one of these movies. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be like, yeah! Yeah, like, yeah. this is cool, yeah. you know. <laughs> Let's watch the English die. Yeah. It's sort of like a graphic novel. I yeah, think, it's pretty much. Yeah, like, yeah. There's that bit in the hallway kind of fight yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Atta- it's very Daredevil yeah, is yeah. what it reminded me of. 
because uh, I think sometimes there is a bit of a stigma around Irish cinema like people yeah. don't really go to see it they'd rather yeah, go yeah. see American films and I, I think Black 47 is a great yeah, movie yeah. and it really spearheaded the Irish kind of western genre because we have that we have the dig and we have the one with never grow old never grow old Good with john movie. cusack yeah, yeah 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 so the potato western the potato western yeah and then uh, i think the last thing we'll talk about seeing is chernobyl yeah which yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has this pretty devastating one episode arc yeah oh god chernobyl, fairly grim yeah where yeah. he plays uh, a civilian draftee yeah, pavel pavel who yeah. uh he's drafted in because with all these soldiers because they're just running out of people they can throw at the yeah. situation to try and solve it <laughs> And um, his job is to go in uh, with one or two, it's like two yeah, se- um, seasoned soldiers. Their job is to go in and shoot ki- dogs, shoot dogs, yeah, and shoot yeah. the animals that have been yeah. left there because they have been contaminated yeah. and will spread the radiation yeah. if they don't go in and do it. And they, while these people, they mention having killed men in Afghanistan, yeah, they're yeah. like they've been abroad and like yeah. fought. Barry Cowan is like this must be like it just turned eighteen. Yeah having to go in and murder things for yeah, the first time yeah. and you basically watch his slow descent yeah into into so he's never going to be happy yeah, again. It's, yeah <laughs> so it's like, just a, you know? and it's like a just a total indictment of kind of what the soviet system did or like uh, maybe it's not but uh, it's chernobyl's um depiction of um what the soviet system did to young men which is you know just He's been a young man at the mercy of a cruel, apathetic state that sees him as a number, not a human. Mm. And the only kind of love or f- even friendship uh, he'll find is is in a radioactive exclusion zone in the camaraderie he shares with Bacho and Garo. It's just a microcosm of the downturn of the Soviet Union, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And like this idea that you had to sacrifice yourself for the good of a, the state, yeah, even though the state yeah. doesn't seem to care about yeah, you yeah. at all. And yeah. like you're a dispensable. The, canting, the state puts you in a tent gives you as much vodka as you can drink and as you shit on a log, basically. And Brad Cohen's whole arc in the show is yeah. a really good microcosm of that. There's some pretty devastating moments where he shoots a dog and then can't finish it off. Yeah. And earlier on in the episode, uh, Bacho had told him that I'm not going to stand animal suffering. If you yeah. shoot a dog, you, you finish it yeah. off. If you hit an animal and it doesn't die, keep shooting until it does. Don't let them suffer or I'll kill you. Understand? Go, go, go away. Go. Don't let them suffer. Sorry, sorry. And then Ferris Ferris uh, Bacho is pretty kind to him yeah, like yeah. understands yeah, yeah. and tell, has that really haunting monologue where he talks about how when the first time he killed somebody he was like I'm never going to be okay again yeah. and then in the next morning you wake up and you realise that's always been within you yeah. that ability yeah. and it's really twisted yeah, and yeah. Like, haunting. I'm not a huge animal lover yeah. so comparatively to everything else that's happening in Chernobyl like yeah. the stuff with Jesse Buckley pregnant the first episode of Chernobyl where just people just get radiation poisoning left right and center that's right. and yeah. they're just throwing people like no go in and look yeah, at that yeah, hole yeah, again yeah, yeah yeah go in and look at the reactor and they're like there is no reactor it's gone <laughs> i find that stuff a lot more inherently disturbing and yeah. i think the animal stuff while interesting is a little bit less gripping to me yeah i still feel the devastation of yeah, that yeah. and it's all on kyohan yeah. usually yeah. when twitter accounts saying like does the dog die in the movie or websites are like, i'm like just watch the movie i like dogs i like cats i like all animals but at a certain point, it's like, okay, come on. Just nut up and shut up and watch the movie. But this, even for me, was hard going. Yeah, yeah. totally. So that's pretty much where Keohan 
is now. I feel like I, I've, I've gone back from saying Kyohin and Kyohan. I always thought it was Barry Kyohan until I saw an interview where he corrected somebody who called him that and mm. said it was Kyohan. So if if I went back between yeah. that and the episode, that's the reason. Listen, if he if he ever listens to this, we're sorry, Barry. Uh, but I think be on the show and like yeah. have yeah, a pint yeah. with me. You seem cool. <laughs> He's got some pretty cool roles coming up, and the roles that sort of seem like an actor's dream in the sense that he's this movie called Cam with Horses mm. which has premiered at TIFF and it's got great reviews and it's this movie set in rural Ireland the actor Cosmo Jarvis who plays this uh, former boxer who has become the enforcer for this uh, drug dealing family he feels very loyal to them yeah. but then there's a point where they ask him to kill somebody and it's him sort of wrestling with that I get the vibe that Barry Keoghan is playing the son of the drug dealing family oh, okay yeah and uh, there's a clip online of that and it looks very good yeah, so he's in these homegrown Irish movies, and then he's also going to be in a Marvel. He's going to be in oh, the, in the Eternals. He, he's yeah, playing yeah, Droog. Yeah. Get that Marvel bag, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. do it. Yeah. And he's in the one that seems like the most artsy and cool, where it's directed by Chloe Zhao, who made The Rider. Oh shit, yeah. And it's the one, but his most like eclectic cast. It's like Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani, yeah. Richard Madden, <laughs> Kit Harrington, Gemma Chan, like yeah. cool people. He's also going to be in David Lowry's uh, new movie, which is an ad- adaptation of Sergei Gawain and the Green Knight. Oh, shit, yeah. Alicia Vikander's now, isn't she? Yeah. That's like an A24 artsy... Of course it is, yeah. <laughs> ...independent American yeah. movie. And then also he's going to be in uh, Why the Last Man. Oh, yeah. adaptation for FX. Series, so he's getting into prestige yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, this really interesting setting. It's about uh, a post-apocalyptic world where a disease has eradicated all men. Yeah. He's the last man. Yeah. Oh no, God help him, whatever will he do? <laughs> Could be cool. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see, you know, what the impact Sounds of like a lot is. of prestige TV sex scenes. Barry Kell was like, sign me up! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's a great actor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very, one of Ireland's best. I'm very excited best to see what he, does, yeah. what he yeah. will continue to do next. Yeah. And if we're going to make a wild prediction, I think he will have an Oscar nomination in five years. That would not I'll be say surprised. three. Three? Ooh, yeah, yeah, hot yeah, shot. Yeah. I'm going to call you out in three years if you haven't. <laughs> I just set up a Twitter account for a page. It's at I know that face P1. And then I also, because I had to set up the Twitter, I had to set up an email account. Yeah. So that's I know that face pod at gmail.com. So if you, you know, like the show, let us know. Yeah. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You want to pitch a suggestion on who we should cover next? Just write the name of the actor and then just yeah. don't say anything else. Yeah. And just drop in the email. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. If I minimal. Up, Keep it minimal. Brevity you know, is underrated. I wake up with an email like Don Johnson. Andrew, <laughs> we're doing it. And also, if you are any head stuff writers or any people working in film who'd like to be on the show, that's another way you can hit us if hit you want to be a guest. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.